Messianic Radio for a spiritually hungry world. Speak to the Rock. Get answers for your life. Find out what's missing in your Bible and why. Solace Radio. Changing lives one heart at a time. Again, my name is Rabbi Neil Sarasky. I am a Jewish believer in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. Uh, we call him Yeshua in our congregation. And Kehilat Sar Shalom in Hebrew means the congregation of the Prince of Peace. And we know that uh, that was one of the terms that uh, the scripture uses for our Messiah. It says he will be called Pele Yoetz, Wonderful Counselor, El Gibor, Almighty God, Aviad, Everlasting Father, and Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. And so we are the Kehilat Sar Shalom, the congregation or the assembly of the Prince of Peace, and we worship uh, our God through his son Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, in spirit and in truth. And uh, it, again, it's an honor and a privilege to be here today, and my, my wife is here, uh, and that's a, a, a wonderful privilege too, along with our grandkids, because Kim uh, isn't always able to travel. But we're here, and uh, I have a question for you guys. By the way, if you've ever seen me, you'll know that I am quite energetic, and I'll bounce back and forth. So if you need, if you if you need to take off your neck brace for now, because you know that's you take that off. Um, but uh, in, in preparation for this, Alan did tell me that this message for for Resurrection Day is typically for your church the shortest message of the year. So in conclusion. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're going to spend the next two and a half hours talking about the... T- no, I'm kidding also. Um, the, the, the fact is, is that Jesus is risen, and we're celebrating this today. But my question for you guys is, why? Why, why did he rise from the grave? How many of you have kids? Kids? Do you remember when they were young? Long, long time ago? Yeah. Or, or maybe this is you also. Are you the person who asks the infinite why? <laughs> why? Well, this is the reason. Well, why? Well, this is the reason. It's the, the perpetual inquisitive child that continues to ask the question, why? And at some point, parents uh, are going to have to develop an instinct or they're going to just go absolutely crazy. They have to develop an instinct to know when to answer the question and when to simply say, because. (laughs) And even then, the inquisitive child, the infinitive, or the infinitely inquisitive child will continue to say, well, why? Because. Well, why? And then, the why stopper. Because I said so. That's, that's right. There is a reason for everything. Would you agree with me? Now, fact is, you may not know what that reason is. And if you do know what that reason is, you learn that you may not like what the reason is. But you have to admit there is a reason for everything. There is a purpose for everything. The Bible talks about that. There is a time and a purpose for everything under heaven. And so we have to understand the purpose, the reason, the why. So today I want to share a little bit with you about the why. It might actually be better described as a 
Why? Because you can probably think of several different reasons why Messiah rose from the grave. I want to share something with you. Maybe you've heard it before. Maybe you haven't. But it will give you a new perspective, I think, I hope, on the reason for the resurrection, which is the title of this sermon. Last week, we celebrated another, another special day on the Christian calendar. Anyone know what that was last Sunday? Palm Sunday. And what did we celebrate on Palm Sunday? Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. That's true. Now, we ask the question, why? Why did Jesus come into Jerusalem? Well, there was a very, very particular reason. In Exodus chapter 23, again in Exodus chapter 34, and in Deuteronomy chapter 16, God issued a command to Jewish men that three times every year they were supposed to go to Jerusalem. Three times every year, Jewish men were supposed to go to Jerusalem. And those three times corresponded to uh, very specific holidays on the Hebrew calendar. The first one was Passover. Every Passover, Jewish men were supposed to go to, to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, to offer their sacrifices. The second one is a holiday that is called the Feast of the Harvest. In the Jewish world, we know this as Shavuot, which is translated as the Feast of Weeks. Today, we have a holiday that's called Pentecost. It's the same day. It's 50 days after Passover. And that's the second time that Jewish men in Israel were supposed to go to Jerusalem every year to celebrate this holiday. And the third holiday, according to the scripture, is called the Feast of Ingathering. Now, the Feast of Ingathering is uh, in the Hebrew world known as Sukkot. We call it today the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. So that's the third time every year that Jewish men were supposed to go to Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts. Now, I have to tell you, this probably won't come as a surprise. Jesus fulfills the sinless lamb sacrifice, which is why John saw him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That sacrifice could only have been made by an unblemished sacrifice. In fact, that's why Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, because that was the day, the 10th day of the month of Nisan, when the lambs were taken in for inspection. He presented himself in Jerusalem for Passover so that they could show that he was an unblemished sacrifice. Unblemished means he fulfilled the law perfectly. And we say that today. He did it so that because we couldn't. He did it because we couldn't. And that means he fulfilled it all perfectly. So that means he also went to the Jerusalem on those three times every year that it was commanded. So why did he ride into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday? He rode in specifically for the Passover. 
so that he could present himself an unblemished sacrifice, knowing what was about to happen later in that week. Everything that happened that week, everything was in that context. He wrote in, and they were celebrating the Passover. They were remembering the time when God delivered the Israelites out of bondage in slavery in Egypt. They were enslaved, they were ensnared, and they couldn't get themselves out. So God took action. And that's what Jesus was remembering during that week. His last Passover Seder, if you will, what, what we call the Last Supper was in the context of Passover. And that's why he was remembering all of those things. That's why we re- read about matzah and unleavened bread and, and bitter herbs and all that kind of stuff. is to remember the deliverance out of slavery. Now, I want to share this with you. We know that God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt through the Passover. But there was so much more to it than that. And I want to share with you from the bottom of my heart how much God loves you. He loves you so much. And all of this that we're talking about today, all of the Passover is is to show you today just how much he loves you. For the Passover for God was personal. It was personal. And I want to share this with you. I will back all of this up with scripture. God's final goal in the Passover was expressed in the form of a promise. It's, if you will, the personal promise of Passover. I like peace today. Don't worry about it. It's okay. It'll pass. Perfect. Perfect. Please. Uh, His final goal was expressed in a promise, and it comes in Exodus chapter 6 in verse 7. It's the second half of Exodus 6 verse 7, and it says this, I will take you to be my people, and I shall be your God. I'll say that again. This is personal. It's God speaking And he's talking to everybody. Now, in my congregation, when I want you to say everybody, I will simply say, la-di-da-di. And then you respond with everybody. (laughs) So who was he speaking to? La-di-da-di. There you go. He was speaking to everybody. It was a personal promise that I will take you to be my people, God speaking, and I will be your God. It created a problem. Because the people that he was speaking to right then, in that day, at that time, belonged to somebody else. They belonged to Pharaoh. That, that was problematic. The people that God wanted for himself already belonged to someone else. There were certain things that he could do, though, to change that in order to make that happen. There were three things that had to precede it. And in order, those things were freedom, they had to be let go. Pharaoh had to let them go, had to, you know, release them. 
they had to be taken out of that location. They had to be taken out from Egypt so that Pharaoh wouldn't just take them back. And then they had to be purchased back for God so that Pharaoh could never take them back. So they had to be freed, they had to be delivered, and they had to be redeemed. And don't you know we read that in Scripture in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. It's the fourfold promise of Passover. When God said to the children of Israel in that day, at that time, I will free you from the burden of the Egyptians. I will deliver you with mighty acts and judgments. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And I will take you to be my people. And I shall be your God. He set up the first three promises so that... He could get to the fourth. The goal, though, the goal was to make them his people. He wanted to be their God. He wanted to be with his people. The bottom line is he wanted to dwell amongst them. We read about that in scriptures a lot, too. In fact, it was the whole purpose that we see the tabernacle. It was the whole purpose that we see a temple. In fact, the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud that they followed during that whole Exodus story. And you remember the Exodus story? The Ten Commandments, Prince of Egypt, whatever movie you like to see about it. Okay, They follow this pillar of cloud. The word pillar means to stand. God stands with his people, and that's always what he wanted to do. So there were three preliminary promises. I told you I'm on peace today. I don't know why. There were three preliminary promises. The first one says, I will bring you out. I will bring you out. The word, is, the word that we use in some translations is to free you. Free you. The word has in Hebrew has the connotation of being released from something that has a grip on you. If something has a grip on you... No one's going to get take that out of their hand. They've got a grip on you. They've got a hold on you. They've got something on you. The idea of freedom, to bring you out from under something, means to let go. Like the, like the mic drop. It's to let it go. They're free. They're released. But it doesn't mean that they've gone anywhere. It means they're free to be able to go. But it doesn't mean that, they're, that they do, that they choose to go. That's where the second word comes in. So the first word is yatsa. It means to let go, to free, to bring out from under, to mic drop. Okay? Great visuals. Okay? So now you're free. The second promise of the three is to deliver you. Now to deliver has the connotation of being taken away. Just because you've been released, you've been let go, and you're free doesn't mean you will. So God promised to remove them from the danger, to take them out of the place where they could possibly go back into slavery. So God said, I will bring you out or I will free you. I will let you loose. Then he said, I will take you out of that situation and bring you to a place that's safe. In fact, this word uh, that we talk about for deliver, uh, natsal, has the understanding of rescue, of helping to escape. So you're in a dangerous situation and you're taken out of that situation. That's deliverance. So God then has that, those first two under control, working towards that, that, that fourth goal. The fourth goal is to take them to be his people. Now, the third, the third one is redemption. So God has set them loose. 
He's caused them to escape. He's, you know, in fact, the idea is refuge. And it's the same sort of word where we get the cities of refuge. It's a place to go where you can be safe. But then to ensure that they could never go back to anybody else, he does the unthinkable. The word in English is redeem. To redeem means to buy back something that was once yours or pay a debt. That is exactly what God did. In doing so, he brings the children of Israel out from under the grip of another. He lets them free. He takes them away and then purchases them so that now he has a hold of them. And nobody can take them from his hand. Wow, that sounds biblical, doesn't it? It sure does. To redeem is to purchase back. And this is what we call in Hebrew, ga'al. Ga'al is the redeemer. And this is all what God has done in the Passover. Remember, this is what Jesus was celebrating at his last supper. Freedom, deliverance, and redemption. In fact, there are four cups at Passover. Four times we sip the juice, and each one represents one of those promises. The fourth cup, that very final cup, in fact, is the cup that Jesus said at that last supper, I will not drink again until all is fulfilled in the kingdom. That cup represented the fourth promise. By now, you should be familiar with the fourth promise. The fourth promise was, I will take you to be my people, and I shall be your God. That hasn't been completely fulfilled yet, because there are still more people that God wants to be his people. That hasn't been fulfilled yet. That won't be fulfilled until he comes back, and all is fulfilled in the Father's kingdom. At that point, I believe, is when Jesus will come, and he will take that fourth cup with all of us. That final promise, though is so personal. God had done all of this to stand with his people, to dwell with his people, and to take them for his own because he loves us. That's why I want to share that with you, that God loves you so much that he would do all of this because it didn't just happen in the Passover. God did it for us in our bondage to sin. If sin has a hold of us, then we cannot worship him. We cannot be his people. So God did what he needed to do to set us free, breaking the bonds of sin. But it wasn't enough. He didn't just let us go and let that sin sort of hang there. He took it away. He delivered us out of the danger of sin by removing it from us, according to Scripture, as far as the east is from the west. Now, if you've ever heard me talk about that before anywhere or online, you'll know what I'm going to say next. If you start walking north from here directly now, due north, there will come a time when you will start walking south again. 
as you can move over the north and start heading south. If you were to walk due east or due west from here, there is never, ever, ever a time when you will start walking the other direction. East and west never touch. So when God says, I will remove your sin from you as far as the east is from the west, that's exactly what he did. They will never, ever touch again. He has taken it away. And he has redeemed us. He has made it so that if we accept the price that he paid, which was the blood of his very own son, Jesus... If we accept that, then he now has a hold of us. And nothing can take us from his hands anymore. And in doing so, according to what the scripture says, he now can be our God. We are his people. That still doesn't tell us why he rose. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Just warming up. He's warming up. All right. So God, in doing all of those things, the freedom, the deliverance, and the redemption, he was leading up to that fourth goal. And he was willing to do whatever it took to make sure that that all happened. But he would never force the issue. God was only removing the obstacles so that we could make the choice to choose him. Now, we all know what the New Testament is. You know, the New Testament, the word New Testament never appears in the New Testament. That's weird. Yeah, see? See? Out of the mouths of babes. That's weird. It doesn't. What does appear is New Covenant. New Covenant. Now... The new covenant is what Jesus initiated. It was the last Seder meal. And Jesus and how many disciples were there? All right, so I heard 12. I heard 11. Do I hear 16? Anyone? Depends on when. Good good point. Depends on when. For the dinner. For the dinner. Did I say did I hear nine? I heard nine? We're just throwing out random numbers now? No. <laughs> it was Jesus and there were eleven disciples at dinner. Because Judas had already been dismissed. Prior to the dinner, Jesus tells Judas, go. Do what you need to do and do it quickly. And Judas leaves. And then they're left with 11 disciples for the meal. At the, after the meal, after the meal, Jesus takes a cup. Now, it was the third cup. Remember I told you that the cups represented the promises? It was the third cup, so it represented the third promise. And what was the third promise? I will free you. I will deliver you. I will... It was the third promise of redemption. So this is, in fact, even today in Jewish homes called the cup of redemption. 
Back then, it was also the cup of redemption. So that was the cup that Jesus took. And he lifted it up. And he told his disciples, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is ratified by my blood, which is poured out for the sins of many. Thus equating redemption with the spilling of his blood. The buying back of God's people came at the expense of the shed blood of the Lamb of God. That's what he was saying. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant or the cup of the new covenant. Now, what is the new covenant? The new covenant, they would have understood as coming from Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33. This is a covenant that had to be important or Jesus wouldn't have said it. And the really interesting fact is, there's actually, there's actually a couple of interesting points here. First of all, Jesus initiates it. By his shed blood, he inaugurates the new covenant. Not the New Testament, the new covenant in his blood. Paul writes about it. Paul writes specifically about the new covenant. Remember, New Testament doesn't appear. New covenant does several times. Paul writes about it in both of his letters to the Corinthians. The writer of Hebrews also mentions it not once, not twice, not three times, but four times in his letter. And it comes from Jeremiah, and if you read that particular scripture, it actually mimics the Passover. He says, I will put my law in them, breaking them from the sin. I will write it on their inward parts. I will forgive their iniquity. This is the new covenant, the new covenant. I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sins no more. But wait, there's more. The whole point of all of this, remember, was personal. Because in this passage in Jeremiah, in 31, verse 31 through 33, God reiterates that in this new covenant, which isn't like the covenant I made with their fathers that broke it in the wilderness, I will take them to be my people and I will be their God. That was the whole point of the new covenant. To fulfill what had yet to have been fulfilled for good. God still wanted to be with his people. And he continued to find a way to make sure it happened because that's how much he loves us. He wants to be with his people. Now, we turn to the resurrection. First of all, it happened during Passover. In fact... In relation to the Passover, it would have happened today. The Sabbath of Passover had come. At the end of the Sabbath of Passover was the first day of the week. And at the first day of the week, early in the first day of the week, they went to the tomb and the tomb was already empty. Now, if you look at the Hebrew calendar, there's another festival that starts the day after the Passover of, 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 I'm sorry, the Sabbath of Passover. I'm getting so excited because this is so neat. <laughs> Breathe. <sighs> okay. 
The day after the Sabbath of Passover was another festival. And in English, it's called the Feast of First Fruits. I know, it's mind-blowing, isn't it? That God could coordinate all of this stuff so, so tightly. That is why, by the way, that is why Paul, a self-confessed Hebrew of Hebrews, used this term, first fruits, to refer to Christ as the first fruits of the resurrection. He rose on the feast of first fruits. We, of course, will follow. Now, I want to share this with you also. Isaiah, the prophet, prophesied that a child would be born. And his name would be called Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Remember, it's personal. God wants to be with his people. He wants to be with his people. Jesus was that child. According to, the, according to Matthew, he records the prophecy refers to Jesus. And this is the child to whom Isaiah referred as the one who would be called Emmanuel, God with us. So God sent Jesus to us so that he could be with us. He wanted to be with us. If God's goal was to be with his people, this makes perfect sense. A hundred percent. A hundred percent of the time. Jesus' death then would almost seem to defeat God's purpose. If Jesus stayed in the grave... The whole point of him coming would have been defeated if the point was to be with his people. Thank God he didn't stay in the grave. He rose because the resurrection was the fulfillment of the promise that God had made to be with his people. Now, the denouement of all this is coming. According to Matthew, the very last thing Jesus said, anyone know? According to Matthew. So that was before he died. But the very last thing Matthew records Jesus saying is, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, I'm a, I'm a linguist. I love the languages. And I go to the, the Hebrew for the Old Testament and the Greek for the New Testament all the time because that's where they are infallible. That's where they are perfectly inspired. And in the Greek, that particular phrase says, Kaidu ego methumon emi pasas tas himeras. If you read that in the English the way it's written, it actually sounds like Yoda. (laughs) And behold, mm, I with you am always, mm, all the days. mm, (laughs) 
That's what it actually says in the Greek. Can I save it again? Without the Yoda? Yoda. I like the Yoda. <laughs> and behold, I with you am always, all the days, even at the end of the age, even, to, even unto the end of the age. Yep. This is the reason for the resurrection. A reason for the resurrection. Even though he didn't stay very long, his lasting promise was that he would be with us. Just as his name, Emmanuel, implied forever. That means there is never going to be a time if you accept what he did for you. There is never going to be a time when you will be without him. Because he will be with you. And all it takes is recognizing your need for freedom, deliverance, and redemption. Believe in that, and he will take you to be his people. And he will be your God. And Jesus will be with you forever. Now, pay attention because it says all the days. It doesn't just say forever. It says, pasas, always. Tas hemeras, all the days. There is never a day, a moment, an hour, ever when God is not with you. And that was his point. And that was his promise. And that was the purpose for the resurrection There is no greater reason to celebrate today than that, that he is with you always. If you have believed in Jesus as your Messiah, he is with you even right now, no matter what it is that you're going through, no matter what kind of pandemic, no matter what kind of anything, he is with you and he will see you through it because he is standing with you just as he promised he would. Because that's always what he wanted to do because of his love, his undying love for you. Now, if you have accepted him as your Messiah, there is a way to celebrate this, this unity that he is with you. And we call that today communion. And it comes from the Passover Seder meal. At the end of the meal, he broke the bread. He said, this is my body. Broken for you. When you do this, remember me. And that third cup, oh, the third cup, the cup of redemption, the cup that required his blood is the cup after the meal that he said, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. I would do a blessing and then I will close this in prayer. God gave these words to Aaron, the high priest, to pray upon the people. And he said that in doing so, he was placing his name upon them so that as they go forth, they carry the very name of God. So as I bless you with the blessing, know that God loves you. He wants to be with you. And he wants you to be his name bearer to the world. Yisbarecha, 
Yair Adonai Panav Elecha V'chunecha Yisach Adonai Panav Elecha V'yasem Lecha May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. B'Shem Yeshua, M'Shechenu, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus, our Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the resurrection, Lord. We thank you for the hope that we have in you, Father. And we thank you so much this very day for doing it all because you love us and want to be with us. Father, let us now go and bear your name to the world today to let them also know how much you love them and want to be with them. And all it takes, Father, is understanding your sacrifice, your salvation through your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Our foundation is built on solid rock. Yeshua. Yeshua. The rock of our salvation on Solace Radio.